Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. Let's consider those words we just sang for a second. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. We can pull them out and say, you know what, I bet this story, filled with the glory of God as it is, had relevance back then, has relevance now, and is going to have relevance for us until the end of time. And so for me, I was stepping back, and this story of Jesus overturning the tables and kicking out the money changers has always been one of those that has sat funny for me. It's so out of character for the Jesus that I was taught in Sunday school, the Jesus that I came to know, the Jesus who rewarded me, it seemed, for being nice. And so I'm trying to figure out, well, how, how can I understand this story in a way that is relevant for today that sort of keeps Jesus as somebody who's proclaiming a good word and yet does it in a really profound and explosive way? And so I thought, well, maybe there's a different way we can enter this story. So I'm going to invite you. I'm just going to pull something random out of the air. Let's pretend that we're a close to 40-year-old dad with a couple of kids who decides that they're going to celebrate Passover at the temple this year. Just random. So you might imagine the scene. Now the scene at the temple looked less like it often does in the sanctuary where everybody's seated in straight rows and there's very orderly things going on. The scene would have been much more what happens in the vestry after church. A lot of bustling around, a lot of different things happening. And of course, there's animals all over the place because Passover is a time for sacrifice. And so all different kinds of animals. You've got cattle on one table, you've got sheep at another table, and you've got the doves in the back there. There's a lot going on, people running around, a lot of noise, a lot of mooing, a lot of buying. This feels natural to me. It's a big day. It's Passover, and you've been preparing for quite some time now. And so you and your family, you're headed up to the temple. And you're like, well, you know what? It's kind of a big day. Maybe we should put on our best clothes. And so you kind of get dressed up. This should sound familiar to a lot of us. You know, you're going up. It kind of feels important. Like, yeah, it's Passover, big deal. But at the same time, you're like, oh, it's just one of those times I got to go to church, right? In so many ways, it's special. And yet it's also just we're going up to the temple yet again. So you get all the kids ready, you put the dresses on, you put the pretty dresses on the girls, you put your kid, you put your son in a, bow tie, a tie that he does not want to wear at all, you load him in, you kind of push him in the door and off to the temple you go. But what's going on for you? What are you feeling inside? You know you got to go up to make your sacrifice, but that sacrifice is more than just a religious sacrifice. It's an actual sacrifice. Meaning, you're going to go up and you're going to pay money to get an animal that can be sacrificed on the altar. It's going to cost you. And so while you want to do the God thing, you want to do right by God, you're a little nervous about what this impact on your finances is going to be. And you're kind of thinking to yourself, well, it looks like ramen at the office for the next couple of weeks. But you're here. You're trying to be a good person. Let's do this. Now you got to figure out what your offering is going to be because it's not as simple as just taking an envelope and dropping it in. We're talking sacrifice here. And so what's it going to be? Well, 
you see the people with means bringing in their bulls. And those bulls are the best of the best because that is what is required of those folks. And you're like, man, that is a nice looking cow over there. All right, okay, maybe that's just me. But anyway, you're like, that's a really nice cow there. That guy is making a big sacrifice. You know, that's cool. You got a couple families over here, maybe not as well off, but they can do the sheep thing, and the sheep is very nice. You know, sheep are pretty and all that. But you, because of the size of the sacrifice and because of your income level, you don't get to go to the bull table, can't afford that. You're not going to the sheep table, you can't afford that. You're going <laughs> to the dove table. The issue isn't the fact that you've got to get a dove. The issue isn't with the people who have the bulls and the sheep. There's just a little part of you that's embarrassed maybe. When you walk up to the table and they say, what do you want? And you're like, give me the pigeon. Doesn't sound all that religious. And, what you're gonna, and it's like no one's judging you, but everybody's judging you. And you're like, why am I spending this money that I don't really have to get this dove that creates in me this feeling of sort of inferiority? Like, why am, why am, I, why am I doing this again? Is that God or is there something else going on here? But you don't want to let your mind go there and so let's just get this over with. And so you grab the dove and the kids are getting a little antsy by now. They're kind of running around the temple and you're like, can you please just go get him? It's getting a little crazy. So you get in line. And you wait in line forever because everybody's there. It's the big holy season anyway. You're holding this poor little pigeon. Then you finally get to the space where you're going to make the sacrifice. And you offer this bird. You hand it over. The sacrifice is made. They sign off. Here's your paperwork. We'll see you next year. You wait in line for hours and it takes about 30 seconds at the table. And you walk away after you've grabbed all your kids and you're going, wait, that's it? probably thinking to yourself like I may not know everything about religion but you at least know the stories of after Noah had been on a boat forever he sacrificed to God after saving them from 40 days of rain and the beauty of that and there was a rainbow in the sky and you're pretty sure you didn't see a rainbow you remember Abraham almost having to sacrifice his kid to make God happy this magical moment full of intensity you remember your ancestors, the people of Israel, wandering in the desert, and they had to build a tabernacle every time they stopped for a little bit, and they would make sacrifices too. You remember the story of Elijah when he went up against the prophets of Baal, and they both made their altars, and God literally sent fire down upon the altar to prove that God was superior over, over the gods of Baal. Sure, this, the place that you find yourself in is amazing. There's definitely something about this place there's definitely, you know something is happening here, yet at the same time, there's just something missing. The stories were magical that you remember, and this just didn't have that. And then in the back of your mind, when you're, as you're driving home and the kids have finally fallen asleep and you're, you kind of let your mind wander a little bit, you're like, I don't want to have any beef with holy people. And they seem to be taking this seriously, but you know what? There's a lot of money going around this temple right now. This is not just a sacrifice. There's a full economy that is, um, that is playing out in, um, among the walls. And you're not saying, you're just saying that that kind of proximity to that kind of cash rubs off on people at some point. It also attracts eyeballs. You're not making any accusations. You're just wondering where all this cash is going. 
that's supposedly in service to religious ends. Something feels off on this Sunday. Something is not quite right. That's how you might have experienced it as a 40-year-old dad rolling up. But then there's this dude named Jesus who seems to have his own little groupies around him and you're not quite sure who he is, but you know that he makes a big scene. We don't need to recount that scene, but he makes a whip of cords, turns all the tables over, releases all the doves. It's interesting that it's only the doves that get released. Remember, that's the stuff for the poor people. And he finally says the quiet part out loud. Says, my house is to be a house of prayer. You've made it into a Boscov's. You've made it a place for religious transaction. You've made it a place where you do something for God and God does something for you, supposedly. And as the church will reflect later in the words of Paul, they say, having a form of godliness, there's something religious here, but denying the power that is actually present in those spaces. And Jesus comes and turns it all over. One might say, as you watch this scene unfold from a distance, Jesus is not just turning over an economic system. Jesus is also turning over a theology, a theology of transaction. Transactional theology is a theology of faith, a way of living our lives based not in relationship but in contracts. You do this for me and I'll do this for you. We're familiar with this kind of language. We do it all the time. But in that, when you do one thing and I do another and we just agree that we're going to do these things and we'll both go our separate ways, in doing that, it's a faith that can so easily ignore motive, can ignore virtue, can ignore sin and the harm that does to others when we sin. It can ignore narrative in favor of the simplicity of a transaction. It uses a contractual model where boundaries are set hard and fast. And as long as everyone signs off on it, you're now bound by the terms of that deal. And here's the sneaky secret that also doesn't get said out loud. In a transactional theology, we might acknowledge that maybe God is playing us a little bit, but it also opens up the idea that maybe, just maybe, we get to play God. Because God, I did this for you, now it's your turn to come back and do this thing for me. When things go wrong, you're like, wait, I held up my end, God, it's time for you to hold up yours, as if we could leverage God into doing something. The temple in Jesus' time wasn't the only religious situation where transactional theology played out. And maybe we're left with questions, too, as we try to navigate our own religious environment that we find ourselves in. Because I know as I talk to people who are like trying to figure out what their relationship is to faith, so many of them say, well, if faith is just going to be like going to a Boscov's, wouldn't it be easier to, you know, just go to Boscov's? At least when I go to Boscov's, I know they're about the money and I'm about the stuff. We work out a transaction that makes sense for us. But in faith, no one seems to want to say that. By the way, I mean no disrespect to Boscov's. Friends, places like the temple, the religious environments in which we find ourselves, don't have to be based in transactional theology. But one of the things we should be aware of is that it often, faith almost always wants to drift in that direction. Because the yearnings that we have inside of us are legit. 
We yearn for some kind of certainty. We want to know that we're doing it right. We want to feel like we've been faithful and we want to know that God is going to respond when we cry out. We want to know that there is some sense of justice in the world, that goodness is rewarded, that sin is punished in some way. And so we're like, I don't know if I can trust this. And so let's just bind it in a contract. It's easier that way. It makes more sense. It's more clear. But Jesus says, that's not how this works and turns it all over. Because Jesus wants to give us another idea, another way of thinking about faith. One might call it relational, or as we describe it ad nauseum in the United Church of Christ, we might call it covenantal, where it's based on my relationship with you and my relationship to God. Consider it this way. The Gospel of John, in which this story finds a home, opens this way. It says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. When it says the word, and I don't mean to go all Greek on everybody, but the word logos that is used means the idea, the being of God takes on flesh, which is, which is entirely different than a temple presence where it's just kind of a cloud. No, God shows up in body. But to make it even more, if we were going to translate that passage the way that it is actually written, the better, better translation is actually the word became flesh and tabernacled. The word, God threw down his tent and came and lived among us. John is saying that the temple and temple theology and temple transaction theology is no longer, that, that the temple in which we find our faith played out is in an actual body and an actual person, Jesus Christ. John understands Jesus as a challenge the challenge par excellence to a temple. Jesus is saying to us, you want to know God? You can't do it through a transaction. You can only do it through a relationship. There is not a temple, a building, a contract anywhere in the world that communicates God to us like Jesus himself. And that's the invitation of this story when we invest in a theology of relationship, when we said it's about getting to know God and about God getting to know us and following in the way of Jesus, suddenly motive matters. Why do we do these things? Suddenly virtue matters. Suddenly our sin and our brokenness matter because we realize that sin can break relationships and so that's why we get focused on it. Not because we're bad, but because we value relationships and we want them to hold together. Suddenly narrative matters. How did we get here and where are we going? It's true, relationships are messy. It's not as clear. There's no contracts. There's no boundaries. There's no means of leverage for another person. But it's the way of faith. And as Jesus reminds us later, he says, tear down this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Tear down all of this stuff. And he says, in three days, I will create a new place where you can know God. They all thought, well, gee, how, why would you tear down a temple and put up a new temple? That's actually a reasonable thing. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's like, tear down all this transactional junk, and I'm going to raise my body up. And the temple is going to be me, not in a contract. The center of faith is not in a temple. It's in a person. It's not in a contract. It's in a relationship. 
And Jesus is willing to turn over any table he must to do it. Which brings us, speaking of tables, to this one. We don't get to be home free. This isn't something they had to deal with before and suddenly we've got it right now. Because we're going to come to this table and the question that faces us is what is happening at this table? Is it a transaction? There's a lot of times we use transactional language around communion that like if you didn't have communion then you're not a member this year. I'm not saying that's here. I've heard that before. You have to have communion so many times or else you're not a member. That's a transaction but that is not what is going on here. Because it's Jesus' body and his blood. This doesn't have to be a transaction. It can be a meal with a friend. This body and blood that we profess here is the same body and blood that was raised up in three days. There's a sense in which this is the temple, the locus of God's activity. The cross made present for us again. This body and blood which we proclaim here is the same body and blood that gave itself on the cross for you who said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself and in this meal as he is lifted up and we remember the cross, Jesus is saying to you, come on, come with me. Abandon all the transactional stuff. Come and be with me. It'll be messy, won't be simple, but it will be real. And that's powerful. So the question is laid before us today. What happens at this table? I invite you to come to this table, wherever you are, and to reimagine it, getting rid of our notions of contracts and finding ourselves here encountering a real person, loving that person, watching that person who we call Jesus change our lives. Amen. Amen.